JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. And joining us now from the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. Back from the LBC. So, did you find yourself at all when you were in Long Beach, maybe going through some lyrics like, they got my homie hemmed up and they're all around, can't none of them see him if they go in straight pound for pound? Did you sing that to yourself at all? You know, when you're in Long Beach, you go through every single lyric, right? In California by Tupac goes through my head a lot when I'm out there. If I, when I think of Long Beach, California, I think of Regulate more than anything else. Totally. totally. I mean, yeah. Warren G and, and Nate Dogg, obviously, especially that was one of the like four songs in rotation, as I mentioned to you before, when I interned at MTV. But I also, the one that sticks with me more is because when you fly into LAX you, and you get, you, Go, you can get your rental car. You're in Englewood. And all I can, and, and I mean, obviously the Great Western Forum, yeah. and, you know, but all I hear is Englewood, Englewood, always up to no good. <laughs> I, that goes through my head every single time. I love, John, I love Southern California. I'm not going to lie to you. I yeah. love Long Beach. I love LA. I love all the weather's great. I think the people are cool. I just, you know, it eats their own. I know there's a lot of people that have issue with it, but I I absolutely dig Southern California. Yeah, I thought about this, and maybe I'm wrong. I said, you know, I need to be – I got to have a wide berth. I got to be able to pee outside. But I guess you can in Southern California. You just be like 10 or 15 people would see you at one time, right, if I did? I, listen, first off, I, I mean – you, I can't imagine what you'd have to do to actually get arrested for anything. There. It's kind of like, <laughs> like it's kind of like carb day yeah. all year round. You know what I mean? Like you'd have to really be acting up for people to care, for people to notice, right? Because you kind of see a little of everything. I always thought maybe this film, and maybe I'm wrong. I, I know they named the town in it, but I didn't know if it was fictitious or not. But one of, one of my favorite, and it's um, – not often brought up, it's um, Men at Work with the Estevez brothers, Sheen and Estevez. <laughs> it, it's, I think their location is somewhere kind of around Long Beach or like Long Beach, uh, somewhere in that vicinity of Southern California, you know, obviously on the water there. And they had those two cops right. that rode around on their bicycles. That always makes me laugh. Southern California. Have you been to L.A.? Because it is so. I have. I I went out there. I've been out there twice. Once we drove from Las Vegas in a Jeep because we got out two days early before uh, a bachelor party. And we were just kind of sitting around. And I go, hey, let's go rent something and we'll drive to Los Angeles. So we went and rented a Jeep. Had no top on it, which it didn't need it, and drove through the desert and and went to L.A., went to the Viper Room on a Tuesday night, paid $50 for a cover. I think had I not had my Indiana driver's license, I think it was like 15 to get in, but I had the Indiana driver's license, so it was 50 And then I went back in 96, I believe it was. I went to a couple of Dodger Padre games and, and met Quentin Tarantino at Wolfgang Puck's California Grill. Awesome. Now, was Tarantino cool? He was incredibly cool. Yeah, he stood cool. out, and if he was walking out, I was walking in. It was actually the night where Tyson bit the ear off of Evander Holyfield. And wow, I, when I was, okay. I, I was, I was, they were sitting us down, and 
the uh, the waiter said, hey, did you just uh, hear about that? And uh, as they were sitting us down, but we were walking in and Tarantino was walking out and I just kind of looked up and I said, man, there's Quentin Tarantino. And he goes, hey, man, how you doing, man? What are you doing, man? And we started talking about Reservoir Dogs a little bit and uh, he asked where I was from and I said, Indiana, and he was cool as hell. Really was. You know, how about this? Yesterday, I'm with Michael Young, track you, Michael Young, and Ryan Marine. We had a red eye out of L.A., so we went and did a little sightseeing, and we still had like three hours to kill. So Michael says, well, let me just find like a cool restaurant around here. So we end up going to Marina Del Rey to this restaurant. It was, we couldn't find anywhere to park, so we, ah, there's a place across the street that looks fine. Let's just go there. So we go in and we sit down. Guy comes, brings us our menus, and goes, hey, are you from Indiana? Because I had on a Pacer sweatshirt. I go, yeah. He goes, I'm from Greene County, Indiana. No, he didn't. I kid you not. And I said, you got to be kidding me. And I said, my coworker's from Greene County. Now, this kid was a lot younger, but it, and I apologize that I'm, this guy's, this guy's last name's always a mental block for me. But there's a sportscaster that does like some ISC stuff and Thad, what's his last name? Van. Oh, Van Devender. Yeah. Yeah. It was his cousin. Okay, because all the Van Devenders are related from Green County right there. So, yeah. true. So he went to, and I always get Owen Valley and White River Valley confused. Which one's the one he would have gone to? So, was he working or just in there? He was working. He was our waiter. Oh. Like, yeah, I moved out to L.A. like three years ago, but I'm from Green County. That's awesome. Yeah, he he lived, at, he he actually said he, he originally moved to Chicago from Green County uh, to go to school in Chicago and then ended up moving out to L.A., and now he waits. You know, I mean, he had another job. I can't remember what he said, but, you know, he makes ends meet by waiting some tables. Cool guy, but I just thought it was crazy. Here we are in Marina Del Rey, Los Angeles, and our waiter's from Green County. You can never, John, you can never get away from the impact and outreach of Green County. You cannot, too. Now, I wonder if this was the Bloomfield part of Green County or was, uh, was it on the other side of the river? In Green County, there are also some Shackamack area, some Jasonville area, Van Deventers over there too. But no, you can't get away from Green County wherever you go, no doubt. That is correct. I'm, I'm surprised he didn't say, <laughs> "Can I start you guys off with some Big Red?" I'm surprised. He didn't ask <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you guys, uh, for an appetizer, you guys, uh, here's some hot fries. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hot fries and a honey bun for breakfast. Yes. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that is so good right there. So we took the red eye and I landed at 540 and went home in time to get a quick shower and went into work. It's outstanding work out of you. By the way, Marina Del Rey is fictitiously, uh, fictitiously where Frank Poncherello lived when he was a chip. Nice. California Highway Better. Patrolman, Frank yeah, Poncherello, known as Ponch. Eric Estrada, wouldn't it? It would be Eric Estrada, who in Muncie once upon a time did play a role as a policeman. True story. That's right. That, yeah. Yeah, he did a rea- didn't he do like a reality deal in Muncie? Like- he did, yeah. That was the reality show where he, yeah, he, was, uh, he was a cop up there, I think, for a, a period of time. So nice. Good stuff. He was a great roller disco or two back in 1979. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I remember when Eric Estrada got in an actual motorcycle accident, probably, I'm going to guess, 1980. And my sisters and I were, like, glued to the radio to get, like, hourly updates on the health status of Heck Eric yeah. Estrada. Heck, yeah. No, I, I mentioned in Marina Del Rey, he had him lined up out the door over there. Big-time star, man, big-time star. Jagtacular, I'm sure, in Marina Del Rey. Uh, back when he was a member of of Chips, you know, Kyle Kirkwood, what um, what's his ceiling? You think as a young driver that not a lot of people know a great deal about that won yesterday? I think a lot of people have always felt like you know. So Kyle Kirkwood, I like his story for this reason, John, and that is that there are a lot of guys that come through the ranks in the world of racing, and you find out after the fact that you know they. They had huge financial backing all the way through that was buying them the best equipment or other such things. And then there are guys that just have won everywhere they've gone along the way. And that's Kyle Kirkwood. I mean, he's gone through the entire ladder series and the road to Indy. He won a championship in F2000. He won a championship in Indy Lights, which is now Indy Next. That won him a scholarship money to get into IndyCar. 
there really wasn't any prime availability for him. You know, Andretti Autosport is who he'd always driven for. So he, he used that scholarship money the first year, and A.J. Foyt kind of dropped him a bone by giving him an opportunity to run with that team. And I think that was probably good for him because he had to spend his rookie year with a team that was a little bit underfunded, probably didn't have as good an equipment or testing stuff. And he struggled through a little bit, and maybe that, like, you know, I'm not going to say humbled him because I don't know that he needed to be humbled, but it just caused him to, to have to learn racing from a different viewpoint. But then he gets the opportunity this year in Andretti Autosport, and there was, from the get-go, there was expectation that he was going to be running up front. And, I mean, we've only had two races, obviously, but, you know, you started to wonder, like, okay, you know, when are we going to start seeing the results? And then, boom, I mean, this is the breakthrough. He was the pole sitter over the weekend at Long Beach. He did not make a mistake the entire race. He ran an outstanding race, and he was fast. So, you know, I think he could be – I think a really good comparison for him would be like a Ryan hunter Ray. You know, he could win a season championship. He could probably win an Indy 500, maybe even won a couple of them because he's still young. Um, but this is not a, a guy that is going to be like some weird one-off win, fluke-type thing. He's going to be here for a while, and he's going to be a guy that's going to be contending for not only wins, but probably season championships for you, for a couple of years to come here. He's uh, Jake Query who joins us. Hey, does Team Ganassi still have as much money as they used to have? Yeah, I think so because they, you know, one thing that Chip Ganassi's always done that's that's really smart. You know, last year they got obviously a huge boost the last couple of years from Carvana with Jimmy Johnson, but they managed to parlay. You know, Chip uses a lot of different corporate connections, I think, for sponsorship, but then they kind of auxiliary sponsor off of that. Like, for example, when they had the Target sponsorship, that parlayed into another car being products that were product placement along with Target as the epicenter. You know, PNC Bank, I think, probably is a business connection for Chip Ganassi because he's out of Pittsburgh. He might be on the board for the bank, but... um, but Ganassi himself has enough money, first off, that their sponsorship is such, you know, they now have three cars. They kind of interchange the way that those sponsorships work. But, um, yeah, I think that they are as well-funded as, you know, it probably fluctuates year to year, but they still would be one of the better-funded teams and still, without question, one of the top two or three teams along with Andretti Autosport. And Penske, you know, and Arrow McLaren now has, has surged up there as well. So instead of just the two teams, Penske and Ganassi, I don't know that it's those teams, John, have, have lost any luster as much as other teams have elevated themselves to get into that area. Target, by the way, stinks now. I can't stand it. I used to love Target. Can't stand it. Now, what would you What's your beef with Target? They, uh, they moved everything around. They redid stuff, and it sucks. There's got to be people on board with me. And I don't know, maybe it's the one that where I go on 135 where I used to go, but it sucks now. Well, I do know that a big, and this is to their credit, maybe this is what gets you. Target is the king, is it not, of like, I'm going to run into Target to get one thing, and you end up going in there and walking around, and you end up buying 15. I, I mean, that's their whole MO, right? Yeah, I, well, it, it, it used to be. It just it, it's no longer – it used to be enjoyable. You go in there now, and it just kind of – sucks i i don't know what it is uh, maybe it's just me being a curmudgeon old fart not having it the way that it used to be the, the way that i liked targets, it john do you know what the local targets used to be yeah airway oh yeah which was glorious loved, glorious loved, yeah loved the airway yeah that um the one over that. the one i got a 45 on 45, the cars shake it up at the airway on West Washington Street, right there by 465. Nice. I got my first ever album that I bought was Sean Cassidy. <laughs> uh, I think it was Do Run Run in Shelbyville, Indiana at the airway. Oh, I love it. And I ran into my classmate, Marcy McCracken, who gave me a kiss in the airway. How about that? That's nice. Yeah. Oh, would, yeah. Would you choose airway or target over hills? Oh, I, I was never... Hills is where the toys are. We know that. I loved Hills. But I was I was definitely more an airway guy. I got a bunch of uh got a bunch of old starting lineup guys. Especially a lot of starting lineup hockey guys from Hills that I still have in boxes at my house. <laughs> Waiting for those to become collectors by the <laughs> <Yeah. start. laughs> It will never happen. 
Never happened. Hey, this is from Jason Gill. So I go to that exact Target yesterday with my wife, and it took me forever to find the electronics department. It's supposed to be right at the door to the left side. I mean, they just discombobulated everything. You know, I, I, I guess if you got time down there in CG and not have to worry about it, but man, it's just, I think it sucks. I hate what they've done. I don't there's go there. Method to the madness, John. I'm telling you, there's a method <laughs> to the madness. So, hey, why is, why is Chris Ballard not telling everybody? Not telling Colts fans who are going to draft at number four. I think it's probably in the Colts' best interest to keep that somewhat close to the vest, is it not? Well, I, I, mean, bring, I, I bring that up. I bring that up because I'm going to read this to you. This is this is from a, a listener. Uh, I don't know if he's a friend any longer. I don't know if he's ever been a friend, but he's a listener. Um, I don't know if he heard this wrong, um, if he interpreted this wrong, or if he's just a dumbass. One of the three here are working. Why in heaven's name would you think the Colts would announce or let you know what their plans are for the draft? Everyone can speculate, but why would you trash them for not letting you know beforehand? So I thought I thought with that, I should, right, it's about being different. I should come up with the original idea. I'm just going to start ripping on them because they haven't told us yet. How about that? I, I can't believe, I mean, for, for six, now six plus years, Chris Ballard's been here. Not once has he told us who he's going to draft. I mean, what kind of crap is that? You know the one thing I'll say about him? <laughs> Flip and see his side. Yeah. The one thing I'll say about Chris Ballard, I, I mean, I have certainly had a little bit of an eye roll about the way that he's handled the media at times. I think he has as well. I think he looks back and, and I think somebody got in his ear and said, look, man, you know, at this point you have yet to build a, a real contender. So a little humble pie might go a long way. And I think he, he started to exhibit that and I'll give him credit for that. But, but he is one of those guys that I think sometimes that we expect that he is sending smoke signals to throw people off the scent. And then we look at it in the end and go, yeah, he kind of said all along is what they were going to do. Now, maybe not explicitly say we are taking player A or we're taking player B, but I think he's pretty upfront about, look, I don't think we're going to do the following, and then they don't. And everybody goes, well, he's just saying that to throw people off the scent. I think he's actually pretty transparent. I mean, I don't think he's transparent to the point of we're taking this player, period. But I think we have a pretty good idea. Like, I do think they're going to stick it for and I do think they're going to take a quarterback. And again, I do think it's going to be Will Levis. Richardson probably, if, if it gets to it where it's between Richardson and Levis, that'll be an interesting debate in the war room probably. But it's going to be one of those two guys, in my opinion. Now, I say that, they may go totally opposite of that. But I think the indications are that's what they're going to do. It's uh, Jake Quay with us. By the way, too, regarding Chris Ballard, if, if I were driving home, and I heard some dumbass like me ripping on me, right, about the job that I'm doing, I wouldn't like that person either. So I completely understand why he wouldn't like yeah. me, right? I, I do. And that's just kind of – that's the nature of the game. That's the nature of, of what he does. It's the nature of, of what we do as well. So that's that's one thing I can understand. But I did want to ask you this. Jake Query's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. And – like I, I'd heard, and I, this goes back to October, that there was Levis interest there, and they really haven't done anything to lead me to believe, and certainly we haven't heard anything. They've been locked up tight that it's going to be anything different. But in terms of Richardson and that interest, so if there is interest there, and Ballard told me that he goes by game film, actual games, not Pro day, not combine, not the one-on-one stuff, not the private workouts. Would there be enough game footage to go on? And how dangerous can it be for a team? I'm not suggesting the Colts are one, but how dangerous can it be for a team to fall in love with those measurables that they have denounced in the past in terms of Richardson here? Well, here's the thing to me that's intriguing and about Richardson and probably creates somewhat of like a dilemma because I agree with you. And the fact that Ballard has always been pretty open about like, look, it comes down to performance and tape, you know, body of work. Richardson is a Johnny come lately to an extent, you know, he doesn't have the full arsenal in terms of tape that you have on other players. 
but he does have something that, so that would be advantage Levis. But he does have something over Levis, and Levis is a physical guy, but Richardson is a physical freak. I mean, his his physical skill set, he's, he's big, he's athletic, he's fast, he's got a big arm, he's got all the things. You know, Ballard loves all of those intangibles as well. I'm going to go back to what I've said before, and that is I think in the end, if Richardson and Levis are the two players that he is having to choose between, I truly believe that in the back of his mind, Ballard is going to continue to default to the fact that Jim Irsay has started to hedge a little bit on the overall security that Ballard has and therefore Ballard is going to know that he needs to take the quarterback that is the most ready to play now. And I think it's Levis and the one that while Richardson might have the better upside and he may, and I totally understand that Richardson might be the bigger payoff in the end, but he's also probably the bigger risk. And in my opinion, Chris Ballard has painted himself into a corner with this draft where he has to take the player that minimizes risk the greatest amount for him, and that would be Levis over Richardson. To Jake Quay with us, I'm sure you saw the Jim Irsay tweet with the collage of the four quarterbacks. Now, granted, I don't think it means much, but I do think your answer is sitting right there, and I think that's one of the reasons why he felt compelled and comfortable to want to have some fun in certainly doing it. I think your I think your answer is is uh is right there. But it is kind of funny with everybody, you know, ending up viewing this, reading this, looking at this, and, you know, trying to analyze it, yeah, you know, trying to translate it. But uh it, all in all, I will say this, they've been locked up incredibly tight. And I asked Mike Chapel this on Thursday. I wonder if there are certain aspects that they don't let Jim know about or in on at that moment just to make sure everything is under lock and key you think there is I mean he is the owner there's no way they would ever own that themselves but sometimes I wonder if that's true you I yeah I think it's fair and especially because you know I think Ursay also is a little bit conflicted is maybe the wrong word but I think that Jim Ursay has to his credit worked really hard to not overstep and I think that in particular chap would tell you that maybe this year was the first time that Ursay started to slip into that area, into that category of meddling, maybe a little too much, but I think maybe Ursay realized that. And maybe this is his own test of, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and let my guy, let my general manager have full autonomy here. And if that's the case, that's even more pressure on Ballard to get it right because Ballard knows you know, look, if I go with strictly what Jim Ursay tells me to do, then, then maybe that saves me a little bit. So maybe Ursay says, I'm not going to let him know what I want. Although I would imagine that Ballard knows that because you and I have heard the same thing. And that is that Ursay's a fan of Levis as well. But I'll be curious to see, I mean, how much. And Shane Steichen has to come into play as well. I mean, Kevin's talked about it a lot in the morning. You know, they went out and got a coach that is a quarterback guy. So you've got to absolutely weigh in as well what Shane Steichen's opinion in all of it is as well. So, you know, you got three guys, three guys that I think know football pretty well. And all three of them are going to have their opinion. And obviously, if two of the three want one guy and one guy, you know, and then somebody's going to be an odd man left out. But I do think that it probably is going to be a collaborative effort. And I am fascinated by which of the three is the one that has the ultimate say of, no, this is the guy we want. And theoretically, it would be the owner because he's the one that pulls all the strings in the end. But by title, it would be Chris Ballard. All of it, to me, is pretty fascinating, truth be told. And that doesn't answer which one I think is going to have the, the <laughs> ultimate say because I don't know. I don't know that any of us know. It's funny. I I was talking a little bit earlier to somebody, and, and I, I bring this up all the time. They actually, over with the Colts, should love us. Because we may be all running the ultimate misdirection here locally for them. And it's stuff they don't even have to be a part of. You know, I could be talking about stuff that's, you know, 100% bass backwards here, if you know what I mean. Not even in the ballpark and running a misdirection for them. But uh, somebody told me today that there may be – that's why I brought up the question to you about 
um, Richardson and, you know, kind of gaining a little bit of interest and or love for him after the season is over by these workouts and ask you how that could be dangerous because, you know, you hear a little bit of that too, which could be just complete misdirection because it's coming now so late in the game, but but we'll see. It just doesn't sound to me like if you're looking at it, even with the season that Levitz, Jake, had last year that was, let's say, uneventful, right? In Lexington for him as a quarterback compared to the season a year ago, you are going to be going on measurables and alone workouts and shorts and one-on-ones and pro days. I, I'd find it hard to believe that after all that has been said about Chris Ballard or by Chris Ballard about how they evaluate talent like that, that they would go against it and go Richardson and not Levis here. That's another reason I why totally I sit agree. here. I mean, it feels dangerous for sure. I totally agree. And, and look, I think Richardson's a very intriguing talent. And by all account, he, I don't know the guy at all, but he's handled himself very well. He said all the right things. He's, he is absolutely wowed and he is a physical and impressive, impressive, you know, impressive physical player. But, I just think when you're drafting fourth and when you're drafting a guy that theoretically you're going to hand the keys over to, you take every single thing into account and you go with the one that has the all these guys, all of them, John, and I'm including Young and Stroud. All four of those guys have risk factors in them because I don't know that anybody's a quote-unquote can't miss. And I've, I keep saying, I think this is a draft that has four quarterbacks towards the top, not because – they are four quarterbacks that are can't miss, but rather because there are so many teams up top that need a quarterback. There's a difference there. But I think you go with the one at four, either one of two things is going to happen. You're going to end up with the fourth of the four because quarterbacks go one, two, three, which that remains to be seen. Or you go with the one that simply gives you the best chance to be successful because they have the least risk. And I think Richardson probably has the highest upside, but the most risk. Before I let you go, a tip of the cap to the Pat McAfee show, because he had Michael Lombardi, a former executive in the NFL, on today. And Lombardi has been steadfast in talking about why the Colts should make a run right now at Lamar Jackson. He seems to be the only one on the planet that right now either doesn't realize or maybe he just knows something we don't about any level of interest whatsoever in Lamar Jackson. Is that just a guy throwing stuff out there? Because believe me, that would be the logical move, but there's no way in the world I believe that that's going to happen. I don't even think they ever thought about that happening. Why would a guy like that continue to run out that story? I'm just curious. Yes. I mean, that, I agree with you. Why would you? And and certainly Lombardi, you know, I respect his level of knowledge and insight. But in that one, and so I will defer to the fact that maybe he knows something we don't, but I can't see it in this one. I, I don't think they have an interest in Jackson. And I don't think that Lamar Jackson makes sense for them from a number of different things, including the timing, as we've talked about, the assets you'd have to give up, the money that's going to be involved that Jim Irsay is opposed to, I think, in a lot of areas, uh, I would be... And the rest of the league opposed to, in a lot of areas, too, and its ownership. And I, I cannot see how that's a possibility. That, that, it seems to me, even more so than anything else, uh, it would seem to be detrimental to any chance that Jim Irsay would have a major standalone voice as he has taken the podium to do, again, that's uh, not literally, but figuratively, the past couple of times. As far as wanting to be that lead voice in the NFL, the rest of the NFL ownership would frown upon that, would they not? A little side-eye action on him if he would happen to do that? Couldn't agree more. I I just, I don't think, there might be a team that's going to pay Lamar Jackson. I personally think it's going to be Baltimore. Uh, I don't think the Colts are going to be the one that helps. And what we're talking about, for those that are unfamiliar, is, you know, you're talking about a lot of guaranteed money, a guy that kind of went rogue in terms of representation. Uh, and, I, you know, Lamar Jackson certainly has that right, and I don't think it makes him a bad guy by any stretch. But uh, I think the owners don't like that kind of thing. And I think that enabling that is something that as – is there a little bit of collusion against him? That's a very dangerous term to throw around. 
but I think it probably was whispered about at the owners' meetings. And I think that of all the owners in the NFL, few of them cherish and respect the fraternal nature of NFL ownership like Jim Irsay. I just don't see him bucking what the other what the other owners would possibly talk about. All right, Jake, I heard you and Kevin. You're talking to Kevin Pritchard last week. You know, it, it just really pisses me off that he didn't tell you who he was going to draft. That's so stupid. <laughs> I mean, how can you guys sit there and talk with him with a dude? He owes it. They owe it hey, to Pacer I fans to tell guy. them who they want to draft. I had another guy that sent me a thing that said, you owe it to all of us to tell us who you think the Colts should take talking to me yeah. because this is the most important decision in franchise history. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, the decision to leave Baltimore probably was more important. The decision to draft Manning over Leaf was probably more important. The decision to cut Manning was probably more important. The decision of who they're going to take one and two when they're the only franchise in league history to have the top two picks in a, in a single draft was probably more important. It's important. It is important to have a top five pick is very important, and it's the most important decision for the franchise right now. But that doesn't mean it's the most important in franchise history. How about the decision that Nick Harper once made that ultimately got him stabbed in the thigh with a fork that cost the Colts <laughs> against the Steelers? Yeah. But that decision. And also that same decision to not like turn around and find someone to lateral to. Yes, those are also <laughs> very important. You get one arm tackled by Ben Roethlisberger. That's right. You get a fork sticking out of your thigh. Come on, man. Man. Jeez. Good old oh, days man. right there. I, I I just, you know, of all things I've been mad about, the Colts owe it to everybody to tell them who they're going to draft a week and four days away from the draft. You just keep banging that drum and we'll see who we can get out of it. I got you <laughs> yeah, I know what I want to get out of it. So, sure. All right, buddy. Go get some rest. Good to talk with you. Glad you uh, met some Green County and Marina Del Rey. We're everywhere, brother. We are everywhere. Right. The footprint goes all around the globe. No question. Thanks, Jake. We'll see you, John. Our good friend, the catcher of the Chicago Cubs competition later on tonight out of Northern California, the Oakland A's. And Tucker's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Had you ever heard of the baseball project? For the uh, for the reference and how I was connected to that, but I heard the end of it. So, no, that was a first timer for me. The baseball project. So they have looking here. Uh, volume two, high and inside, was released back in 2011. Volume one. How old are you? Five. Uh, volume one, frozen <laughs> ropes and dying quails. Later that I'll, year. I'll have to dig into this. It's like uh, I like the little cliche baseball terms that they're using. I have to have to check them out. Do you um do you guys in the dugout use frozen rope and dying quails? We roll them all out there. We roll them all out there more than I'd probably like to admit. The uh the old sarcastic b- baseball cliche is driven into the ground time and time again. We used to do sure. we, we used to do this in baseball and in softball. You ready? And I'm curious if you guys do it. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, we had somebody at the plate We'd all be going, all right, now, get you a little something you can line drive. Find some grass, baby. Find some grass. A little something you can line drive. <laughs> all, all of them. Oh, man. That's my I've favorite. Heard I've heard them a thousand times. We'd go, Let's go, Blue. That was most common, too. <laughs> Come on, Blue. Yeah. <laughs> I think the most common one for me is to yell at the umpire and then say and then point at the guy next to me and try to get him tossed instead of myself. <laughs> Hosmer said it. That was him. It was Hosmer. <laughs> Hosmer. <laughs> he seems like he's a fun dude, is he? Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, I've known I've known Eric for a long time. We actually played um, on a showcase tournament team. Uh, back when I was a sophomore in high school and he was a junior, uh, we played at a, at a tournament in Florida. So I've known Eric for a long time. He, uh, he played against him a bunch, obviously. Uh, so he, he's a good dude. He, he had a lot of fun, that's for sure. Yeah, it seems like a really good addition, uh, along with you, to that team this year. I, I wish we had better microphones in the dugout to hear that stuff, though. Is there a lot of cussing that goes on in there? It'd have to be like a pay-per-view type of thing. See, it's what we need. Cameras and microphones in the dugout. I don't know if it'd be good for anybody, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm sure nobody would want. But I will say this. I mean, the more and more you get these live dugout interviews now, 
I mean, it kind of started with right in the postseason years ago, you know, the managers where they would just put on the headset and the camera would be in front of them. And now it's it's kind of evolved into, you know, I mean, hell, it seems like it's going to be once every inning here relatively soon. I think it's fun, man. I really do. I think how they're how they're giving giving mics to, to players to kind of walk them through certain situations and stuff. The the most recent one I saw was Martin Maldonado of the of the Astros was a catcher that was wearing it, which to, I've always told him. I said if they want to put a mic on me, it's going to be about need to have like a ten second delay on it just in case. But uh, <laughs> it, it seems like a lot of fun. Um, I, I, I hope. Hopefully, I can get to do it um, one of these days. It's uh, it'd be fun to just kind of walk people through the thought process of certain situations and certain things. But uh, I think it's pretty cool. Do you like the uh, clock, the pitching clock? I've I hated it at the beginning of spring training, but I have learned to love it. Me too. It is, Me too. It is awesome. It, it's so funny, man. You we played a we played a three hour game the other day, and it felt like an absolute marathon. Which that which would have been, uh, which would have been a quick one a year ago, you know. So yeah. I think we're. I mean, the other night in, in in LA, I looked up and we were in the fifth inning, and it, the sun hadn't gone down yet. We were about a, an hour in or forty five minutes in, which is which. I mean, there, nobody nobody wanted to play a, a, a slow game to begin with before the clock. It just kind of happened the way with with routines and such. But um, I'm I'm learning to love it. That's for sure. The, who's the benefit, the the pitcher or the hitter? Yeah, you know, man, I, I I would say it leans toward the pitcher. Uh, to be honest with you, um, I think that there there are little nuances to it in terms of how many times a hitter can say it can ask for time or step out or when a when a hitter has to be in the batter's box. For example, as a hitter, you have to be air quotes in your stance with 11 seconds left to go, which gives the pitcher 11 seconds to kind of just sit there and. And, and wait to throw a pitch um, if you're ready to hit. And when you're in that situation, you can get stiff and you get stuck, and it makes it hard to kind of pull the trigger uh, with your swing. So I, I, if it benefits anyone, um, I, I think it does maybe the pitcher just a little bit. So Tucker Barnhart of the Cubs in Oakland later on tonight start a series with the A's. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, I saw two games back in the 90s at Dodger Stadium. Uh, Kevin Elster at the time, uh, known for this, was trying to pick up a couple of chicks right behind the dugout, which was pretty cool back then. He was he was known for swinging that around a little bit, and I actually got to see it live and in person. But is it as enjoyable? I, the atmosphere to me is awesome. I mean, the backdrop right there in Chavez Ravine, it's its like no other. Is it as enjoyable to be a part of that as a player as it is to sit there and watch? No doubt. LA, uh, playing at Dodger Stadium is my favorite favorite road stadium to go to. Um, it's just the the environment, um, the atmosphere, to your point, kind of the backdrop, everything. The lights are a little brighter. The, I mean, there's 50,000 people there every single night. doesn't matter if it's a Tuesday or a Saturday night. Um, Jason Bateman was behind our dugout the other night. I've seen Jerry Seinfeld there. Brittany Spears, I've seen there. Uh, you may, um, Seth Rogen, I've seen there. I mean, you was see, was Brittany looking smoke? She was in down the third baseline, but everybody was saying that she was down there. I got the third base, and I didn't see her. So all I could see was her head. She wasn't looking bad. I will say that. And nothing wrong with that, too. Jason Bateman, by the way, too. You should have had you should have had them change your music up to like Silver Spoons because he was a co-star <laughs> on that back then. I have no idea what that show is, but yeah. I'll take your word for it. Everybody would have laughed. I guarantee a laugh. <laughs> I do guarantee you that, but you're right. I mean, it it does seem like that way. And see, you're going to go from like fifty thousand plus every night. There'll be about fifty people in the stands tonight, probably. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's. We were joking about that a little bit, uh, a little bit on the bus from the airport to the hotel last night about how the environment might be just a little bit different here in the next couple of days. Do the visiting dugouts in Oakland still, when you flush the toilet, drain out onto the field, third base side? Probably. Probably there was um the there was a dead possum in the um, one of the suites here the last couple of days so they they've been trying to get that thing taken out of the stadium from what I understand they a dead possum walking around all kinds of stuff the best hey I, my first radio station was in Scipio Indiana it was Win one hundred six W I N N and it had a dead raccoon in the ceiling for a couple of days I'm sure that smelled great it was great. 
talk. I only, they only allowed me to run Dr. Demento back in the day, though. They didn't allow me to talk on the air. Just hit play. Just say, yeah. Uh, just don't open your mouth, all right? Just don't open your mouth. So uh, Tucker Barnard joins us. So a dead possum in one of the Swedes, huh? Yeah, that's what I hear. I think it ended up being like the either the uh, away radio broadcast booth or like the 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 away GM suite or something. So it was in a pretty important area, from what I understand. So word has it that they've gotten rid of it. So, but you'll never know what you see here. That's for sure. Yeah, obviously, um, Moneyball's built around you know Billy Bean in the early two thousands. Oakland Athletics. You, you a fan of that film? I am. It's a good one. Uh, I think they they did a, a really good job uh, with that for sure. Yeah, I I am too. It just I, you wonder, always wonder how how of it is how much of it is make believe compared to what what actually occurred. I guess so. Yeah, I, I know. I, I've I've talked to some guys that have played in in the A's organization, and they say that it's not too far off as how uh, as to how they kind of approach their roster construction you know so yeah uh from what i understand they did it pretty pretty close to uh to, to spot off it just seems like and i know a lot had been made to glorify that out of that film but it it, it seems like with that philosophy still you're you're always in baseball spinning your wheels i mean more more than you're enjoying anything i, I, I mean i at some point, you got to recognize that to spend, you got to spend for success here. And I just, hundred percent. I just, hundred percent right. I never knew what the A's Tucker, and this is when you were back in elementary. But I never knew what the A's what they ever really accomplished out of that, what they really got out of it, you know, except for that notoriety yeah. with a film. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great point. Uh, I mean, it makes it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, they had that. The, a record long winning streak. I do know that, yeah. from what I understand. Um, but other than that, I mean, they just did it with with a guy named uh, with two guys named Matt Olson, Matt Chat, or three guys, Matt Chapman, uh, with Sean Murphy, who is a friend, um, just trading those guys away and getting young talent that they don't have to pay that much, you know. So it's just uh, it's it's a problem, I think, in, in our league. But uh, that's a conversation for a different day. It is, and you let somebody else reap the benefits. You know, they they built, they get built. All those those guys you're talking about. I mean, there's a there's a list of them that started in Oakland, but once they get to that point to where you know they're super producers and they get paid, they're shipped someplace else, and you get to see other teams, other organizations, other fan bases reap the benefits. So I just it seems like you're on that hamster wheel constantly there. Two steps, yeah, one step forward, two steps back. It just, it, it, to be honest with you, at the end of the day, for me, it, you, it, you feel bad for the fan bases uh, of organizations that that don't necessarily put all of their um, interests in winning. I guess yeah. would be the right way I would put it. Um, and it just, no, I have no idea who you might be talking about often on other teams. So, yeah. I just the league in general. Yeah, the league in general. <laughs> yeah. No, that's my opinion, not yours. Tucker Barnhart's on the more automotive group pile. We'll, yeah, we'll stay we'll stay away from that. I had Lance McAllister on last week and uh he had had enough with the Reds bullpen, so he was he was going a little bit off on it. So <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty no good. Problem, yeah, no doubt. Hey, um so how what are you guys fourteen games in for you as a member of the Cubs, um, begrudgingly, uh Certainly, for you, I'm hoping for the best. Um, it's still kind of tough for me to go. Hey, hey great uh, for everybody else, but it is certainly easy for you. How do you like the atmosphere there so far? It's great, man. I mean, there's something about winning when you feel like you're 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 everybody's pushing in the same direction to win. Yeah, um, it's an awesome it's an awesome feeling. It makes you makes you extremely unselfish. Uh, you you do little more, maybe more put more emphasis on doing more little things to, to win a game versus because you know that at the end of the day, at the end of the season, that we feel like we're going to be right there in the thick of it. And that any, any one win, not to be too cliche, could potentially matter at the end of the day. And it's, it takes away from any sort of struggles that, that maybe you're on or you're having uh, just to kind of focus on winning. It makes, makes it all kind of come out in the wash in a positive way for, for you personally. And, uh, the atmosphere that we've created or that's been that's been around and that that I was added to um, is awesome. Our clubhouse is great. We got a lot of veterans. We had a 
we had a team dinner last night. We got into San Fran, and, and we had 20, 23 of 26 guys at this dinner, which is uncommon um, to, to have that many many guys partaking just for, for whatever reason or another. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fun team. Um, and, and I think we're pretty damn good, too. Hey, Tucker, I know this is different because it's professional. And uh, obviously you have those uh, from other nations that speak different languages and such. But I, I got this. A friend of mine, Dusty Mays, the head coach of Florida Atlantic, and when they were in the Final Four, he was talking about his team and what makes it ultimately this special. And he said, well, with this group, there are no clicks." And I happen to think that's incredibly important. So I want to ask you this in baseball. With how I described it at the outset of this question, is being clickless, is it uh, more times than not pretty impossible to have? And when you can get that group that you're talking about pushing in the right direction, it seems like that that can be a special type of season and group no doubt uh, i think you nailed it i really do i think dusty when i i think i even heard that interview to be honest with you um and and i think that's spot on it's it's rare to find a group where you just all genuinely get along um and and it's not for not for anybody trying to be an ass or anything like that but it's just kind of happens whether there's a language barrier of, of some kind or 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 an age gap or or whatever the case is that happens and it's and it's just a kind of a part of it and it's and it, to your point it's it's rare to find to find a, a team where you where you have no clicks and it's just everybody just getting along and and wanting to go get the best out of each other and uh and win and win you know so i think we have that here in fact i know we have that here and it's uh it's rare and i'm i'm very lucky to be a part of it for sure it's uh, tucker barnhart of the cubs on the andy moore automotive group pipeline cubs and ace coming up later on tonight so uh in that final game yesterday uh, your teammate cody bellinger hits a dinger and was pretty excited about it, i think was that the most excited he's ever been about a dinger because he's had more important ones right in terms of when he played for the dodgers but it looked like he enjoyed maybe the one yesterday more than any other yeah, I mean, from the time that I've been around him, I would say absolutely that I've seen personally. Um, I think he enjoyed robbing Jason Hayward of a homer um, on Friday, or it was either Friday or Saturday night. I think it might have been Saturday night. Um, probably better than the homer, at least it, it seemed like it. It was like the scene from Gladiator where Maximus is yelling in the middle of the, the Coliseum, are you not entertained? Like he had his hands out. Everybody was cheering him. He had just had his, like, tribute video like an hour earlier and then the entire Dodger Stadium's booing him as loud as they possibly can after that it was it was cool it was a really really cool atmosphere to be a part of or environment to be a part of uh, with him coming back there for sure well I, I referenced the bat flip but it seems like he really wanted to grab his crotch <laughs> <laughs> I, you know the when you said the bat flip I I didn't realize because I, I was kind of buried in the dugout um it's Dodger Stadium dugouts aren't like the best viewing seats when it comes to dugouts in the league. Uh, so I was kind of buried, and I I saw him hit it. I saw the ball go out, but I didn't see him like get out of the box. And I saw a photo of it. And it looked like the bat was going to go into about the twentieth row. He threw it so high, but it was uh, it was cool, and it was uh, I'm happy for him for sure. It is Tucker Barnhart with us. You've had former catchers as managers before. Um, is there a difference, um, especially you being a catcher yourself? And what do you think about the, the combination that you've had with manager David Ross uh, so far in these first fourteen games? I love David. I've respected the hell out of Dave for for a long time. I, I played against him as a player. I've played against him as a manager, and now I'm playing for him. Um, it's just it's a it's unique, I think. Um, it, but it's it's awesome. I, I think there's for nobody. It's nobody's fault. But I think as a catcher, there's little nuances and there's little things that you see during a game that you that you don't really get if you've never caught before um, in terms of pitch calling and, and, and things like that. I mean, that, for me in my position, that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing that's criticized when it, it at times is, is pitch calling from a catcher's perspective. And, and David doesn't do that. He, he, he'll ask you questions. He'll ask you, Hey, what were you thinking here? Um, and then if you, as long as you have an answer, like, I mean, it's, it's Oh, cool. Sounds good. And, we, and it moves on instead of, what were you, like why why did we throw this pitch or or what were you thinking why why 
why in the world would you ever do that in this situation? Well, I mean, there's just things as a catcher that you see um, and that you, when you've been in it and you've been through certain situations that, that kind of makes sense. And, and, and that to me is like the biggest, the open communication with him um, has been great. That's what's going to make you a great manager one day. Uh, don't tell Sierra that. I don't know if she wants me to manage, but I, I would love, I would lo- love oh, to coach at some I've level. been well ahead of this one. I know this is coming. <laughs> And she may get mad at me, but I, I've I've known for a while this is coming. Yeah, I mean, I I'd love to do it at some level. I don't know, I don't know when, but uh, I feel like I'd be a pretty good one. No, and I agree with you about the catchers. I mean, the catchers are, you know, obviously the the pitcher is the centerpiece, but it it's the the catcher's the engine here. It's the engine, and it it is in charge of of everything. It sees everything. It is the all knowing position out there on the field. You want to be my agent? <laughs> you just sold me pretty damn good right now. Well, you know, remember, I was a catcher back at Eastern Green High School in 1988, so I know everything about the position. No, but seriously, though. I mean, even on 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 any level, if you've ever caught, you know that it is, it is the all-knowing position because, you know, everything is in front of you. Everything defensively is in front of you. And you know so much about who you prepare to face that's going to step in that box or who is going to pitch against you. You, you just, I think, automatically know more because that's a part of playing the position than anybody else. I, I would agree. I think you have to be prepared at a, at a different level or, unless you, or you feel naked out there, to be honest with you. Uh, there's no, no worse feeling than going into a game. I mean, I've done it. <laughs> Where it's where you you don't you feel unprepared and it just it's you're kind of flying by the seat of your pants and it's not a uh, not a fun feeling. So I, I think I think you nailed it. The, the prep the prep that we have to do, Jan and myself, um, and then other guys that I've played with in the past. Um, it definitely feels like it's a little bit more than maybe other spots. Do you and Jan Gomes get along? Oh yeah, yeah. Jan's awesome. Um, I think what we have is what we have in, t- in terms of the tandem that we that we're using i think is awesome um we have one common goal and that's to get get our guys through the game and and with as as few runs as possible and uh it's it's been awesome yonza yonza i've i've enjoyed watching him play from for a long time from afar and um was was pumped to get to work with him and 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 it's it, i i thoroughly enjoy it how close were you to getting that that out at the plate on saturday night um it was it was bang bang. Uh, it, he was clearly safe, but uh, it was bang bang. It was a lot closer, I think, than I thought it was going to be. To be honest with you, when I turned to dive to tag him, I kind of felt like he would have been all the way, almost all the way past me. But I got a nice shoulder to the face, <laughs> trying to make the tag. But, uh, but it, was, it was closer, like I said, than I thought. It was gonna be. Do you wish that they were allowed again just to plow through you like they used to no. be? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> hell no. <laughs> That's pretty funny because you know everybody would be coming at you, not you specifically, yeah. but your your position just in in general. I um I think I saw this someplace. Were you were you guys trying to pitch around Peralta in that situation? Um, I would say that that we were trying to be trying to be maybe fine and and kind careful. of trying to be careful. Just, yeah, trying to be yeah. careful, not necessarily pitch around, but just give him something that that we thought uh, was our best case to. To, to get him out or get weak contact, and it just didn't work out. Yeah, but, uh, we, uh, I, I would. I talked to Michael Palmer, who I caught in in Detroit last year about it, and we both agreed that we throw the same pitch a hundred times over. I mean, it's his best pitch, so we just didn't get it where we were trying to go. So Tucker Barnhart, he's with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. The Dodgers, to me, are a little bit weird. It's unrecognizable without that red beard of Justin Turner out there. I just, I can't get with it. It's weird. I, it is weird. I we it's funny that you say that because we were talking about that in the clubhouse. How it just feels a little different there. I mean, from from years past, they they obviously have Mookie and Freddie Freeman, um, but but not having JT is going to be a transition for him, I'm sure. Um, and I think that's what you're seeing now. They're still a good team. There's no doubt about that. Um, but it's just it's a little different. That's for sure. They're kind of relying on a little bit of younger guys. Uh, maybe more than they have in the past, but they have had some injuries that yeah. Gavin Lux going down really hurts them because uh, he's a he's a really good player. But it's an adjustment process that everybody goes through uh, when you kind of when you get rid of guys and get an influx of of new. And uh, I'm sure they'll be where they want to be at the end of the year. And 
competing for a division. Did you see Kyle Farmer get hit in the face with that pitch last I week? I did. I talked to him. I talked to him. I mean, I texted with him right after it happened, actually. Um, I And I still can't believe he didn't have anything that was broken. Uh, so he had 37 stitches and uh, wire in his teeth. He sent me a pretty uh, pretty gnarly picture I, um, <laughs> from the hospital bed. I, I Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine. Uh, you guys have to be built differently. Uh, it would be tough to immediately climb back in there. And I know you guys got to be built different. That's your job. That's what you're supposed to do. And that's exactly what he's going to do. But I would think for a, the average human, that would be tough to do initially to get back in there. I mean, there's some hesitancy. There would be no doubt about that. That's for sure. I uh, How would you fight very, that? Very... How would you fight? How, like, like, obviously, you've never had to deal with that, um, at least from what I have ever seen, and that's good, and hopefully you won't. But how, how would you approach trying to deal with something like that, especially to the degree in which you talked about, what, 30-plus stitches and and the type of damage that that baseball did to Kyle Farmer when it when it hit his face? How would you try to condition yourself to jump back in there? I'm going to be honest with you, man. I wish I had an answer, but I have no idea. <laughs> I I think it's just something that, that each guy is different. Um, Kyle's a tough dude. I with haven't played with him for a long time. Um, so I, I would anticipate that he'll hop back in when he's ready and, and be good to go. But I don't know. I don't know how I would approach it uh, given that situation. I just, I'm very hopeful that I never have to have to do it. Who are the Colts going to draft at number oh, four? God. <laughs> Uh, are they going to draft at number four? I think is the qu- biggest question for me. <laughs> That's I'm sticking to it right here. I'm sticking to it. That is Levis at number four. I've been on that since the football season, though. So I've been. Uh, I've really found no reason to to get off of it. I guess hell, I don't know. So it seems. I mean, from everything I've heard and read, it seems like they that you might be right. So well, I hope so. I hope oh, yeah. they take a quarterback of the future, and I hope. Hope he uh, has a hell of a lot of success. You in the lineup tonight? I'm not. I'm off tonight, so I'm chilling. I'm going to be freezing. It's it's only 50 degrees out here. The sun just came out, though, so it's a little bit better. Man, you should see how it is around here. Oh, yeah. How those great yeah. days. Today goes back to <laughs> early December. I got to go sit for like a marathon track meet after this. Oh, there you go. Oh, That's my goodness. Goes, those <laughs> things go forever. You did, You weren't in track at all, were you? Have you ever seen me run? Hell no. <laughs> my my son runs the thirty two hundred. I said, "What are you insane? What are you doing?" <laughs> I can't tell you. The last time I ran a mile, thirty two hundred sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a long time since you've you've ran a mile, like at the same time. Oh yeah, I can't, high school probably. To be honest, with you. <laughs> not in, not including like the elliptical or something. Do you but do you uh? uh when, do you run before games? Enough to just kind of get my legs loose and get moving, but that's about it. Mm. Anybody run hard before those games? Oh yeah, our position, like our fast guys, get like our base dealer guys, they 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 run a lot. Um, Nico Horner, who I think he's leading the National League in, in stolen bases, he yeah. he can move and he runs a lot. He runs like resisted with a with a band with one of our strength coaches and stuff. It's just something that i don't delve into i think no need wisdom is leading your team with home runs right with with six do we are we not seeing as many home run balls as we're used to seeing so far or is that just me making crap up i I don't know i don't know if you're making anything up i just it feels like wisdom homers every day so (laughs) i've seen a lot um (laughs) but uh, i don't know where it's at around the league i know we're seeing a, a ton of stolen bases um, way more than we have with the with the new pitch clock rule. Is, is that what the pro, is that it? Is that the product of the the rules? Getting back oh, to the yeah, steals, no doubt, no doubt. Because you you when as a pitcher, you can when the guy's on base, you can only pick over twice. So, well, I shouldn't say you can only pick over twice. You have two pickoff attempts until if you pick over again and you don't get the guy out, it's considered a balk. So. In theory, once you have picked over twice, the chances of somebody else picking somebody picking over for a third time is virtually none. So guys are basically getting running starts. Yes, yeah, yeah. So if you're a fast guy, a clear base dealer, you just get the dude to throw over there twice as best you can. So you you could probably get out to a mammoth lead, right? Just to test him throwing over there. How, how what's no the doubt. strategy on that? 
I, well, it's getting it's getting the guy to pick over, and then I've what I, from what I've seen with our faster dudes is just ba- like I said, basically getting a running start, <laughs> getting a walking a walking lead that that gets them continuously moving, and then as soon as the pitcher even begins to lift his leg, they're off. Man, what's that doing for you? It's good, good thing you got a cannon back there. Yeah, it's uh, it makes our job a little more challenging, <laughs> that's for sure. Be calling a fastball. Don't be calling any off-speed pitches after <laughs> yeah, two throwovers. Off. All right. I'm going to lead the league in pitch outs called. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey man, I'm happy for you. I enjoy watching you. It's uh, the Cubs, I know, but uh, I enjoy watching you. <laughs> We're going to get you to come around. I'm trying. Well, give it, give it time. I'm coming up there. I'll be up there this Sounds summer. Good. We're going to hang out a little bit. So Sounds good. We're going to get loose. Yeah, I, love, I love the sound of that. All right, buddy. And uh, I'll uh, I'll help you. I'll uh, tout you for that first managerial position because no, it's I, happening. I appreciate that. It's happening. I appreciate that. All right, man. You guys are the best. Thanks for having me. Tell Sierra I said hello. Will do.